All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Kente Corner, your favorite casual Hoya basketball podcast. I'm Bobby Bancroft, and I am here with Marcus Washington at MTC with Mook on Twitter. And Marcus and I are back here. It's late. It's early. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But Georgetown tonight in Omaha, a bit of a shocker. The Hoyas, 86-79 winners against number 15 in Creighton. Georgetown has now won both of their games since coming off a COVID-related pause. The Hoyas are now 5-8, and 3-5 and five in the conference. Creighton falls to 13-5. and five. They are 9-4. and four. Real quick, the Hoyas were, depending on when you got it, 13, 14, maybe 15-point underdogs. They win outright. Javon Belair with 22 points to lead the Hoyas. Chudier Bile got his first start for the Hoyas. Kind of expected 17 points. Jamarco Pickett had 16. Kudus Wahab, who I thought would probably start on the bench, but he did not. He started as well. He had 12. Um, the Hoyas were just red-hot shooting particularly Blair and Pickett, they combined to go nine for 14 from deep, and they held Creighton in check from deep. The Blue Jays were just 10 for 26. Marcus, I know we had a lot of things we we're going to talk about. I'm not going to lie. I was anticipating a Hoya's loss, but I thought it would actually be close. So I know I had the outline, and it's very late or very early, like I said, so we'll get going quick. But uh, just to start it off, what do you think the difference was tonight for the Hoyas? I think the difference tonight really was their defense in the second half. The first mm. half was very good from an offensive point of view, and it was brought up several times during the telecast, and they're true. It is easier to play defense if that other team is constantly taking the ball out the basket. And Georgetown made a lot of shots tonight, but I thought particularly in the second half it was the defense because the ball wasn't going in as much, especially at the beginning of that second half, and they just kind of held it together and, you know, Vilay had the the very good uh, offensive stats, but I thought defensively in the second half, he was really the, the difference maker. So I thought ultimately that it was Georgetown's second half defense that held things together when that offense kind of started to fade a bit that ultimately was the difference in the game. Yeah, I know it makes for a better listen if we kind of disagree and go at each other. I know we don't do a whole lot of that, at least on the air. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, Georgetown's a team that just doesn't force turnovers. Creighton ended the game with 15 turnovers, and particularly our guy Belay, four steals. He had four of the Hoyas' six steals. Georgetown is just a team, like I said, not just in the Big East. I mean, we're talking about one of the one of the worst teams coming into this game in the country at forcing turnovers. It's just not something that they do. So when you, when you look at their defense, you know, yeah, Creighton scored 80, but it was at the pace that Georgetown likes to play. I've pointed out a million times on Twitter about how they just don't win low scoring games. Although they did beat Providence the other day, only scoring 73. It's not that low of a score in college, but for them, it kind of is. So they got in their sweet spot. They scored 86. Um, and, you know, Patrick made a point of it post-game to say, look, we came in here last year. They went crazy from three. You know, he pointed out that they were 10. They held Creighton to 10 for 26. And it was a big deal. Um, so that's probably the difference. Going small, I think we talked about it the other day. I think both of us figured that they would probably start Belay, maybe uh, Sibley a bit of a wild card. But I thought for sure not starting – or I'm sorry – I thought for sure if Belay was going to start, it meant they were going to go small and Wahab was going to be on the bench. What did you think? And were you surprised that we still saw Kudis out there? I was a little surprised because it would have made sense if they went small just because of the action that Creighton loves to run. They love to take five guys and put them on top of the free throw line to have all the driving lanes and the cutting lanes and they get a lot of things off of that, which is how they get their open three-pointers. They put so much pressure on you kind of dipping in that you ultimately come so far in that they can kick it out and you can't recover. So on paper, it would have made sense if Q was the one who set, if you put Belay in the starting lineup, but that wasn't the case. And I was a little surprised by the fact that it was Kerry, who I thought also had a solid game um, against Providence, that he was the one who set. But, you know, when you win, you don't kind of – you don't second-guess it as much. 
but I thought that for how Creighton plays, going small would have made a lot of sense. But again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I thought that Big Timmy, when he was in, that he really contributed in the first half, uh, just defensively being there. And on offense, he was catching the ball and making a definitive move, something that Wahab wasn't doing at the beginning of the game, which is why he had those quick two turnovers. But, um, no, I mean, Ewing stayed true to what he is and how he does things, and it, it paid off tonight. Yeah, I've got written down here in my notes, and for everyone that's listening, you know last week, for instance, I talked about no offense to Ego F.A. and his family that I think he's a fine college backup center at the moment. I didn't think this was going to be the game for him, and not only was I completely wrong about that, plus minus isn't everything. So so basically, when Wahab was out, they basically, it was Ego F.A. was in, they combined for 39 minutes. So they were one of them was basically always on the court. Okay, Wahab minus twelve, ego fa in eight minutes, and this is hard to do. I think plus nineteen. Did it feel like that? It didn't feel like plus nineteen. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was a plus, but I didn't think it was that high. He just made such an impact um, yeah. in that first half, and it was. It was tremendous to see because, again, it wasn't just points and rebounds. It was presence. It was being being in the right places at the right time. So, yeah, no, it didn't feel like plus 19, but but good for him. It's unbelievable. Now, he was three for four from the field. He had six points, three rebounds. Uh, He nearly fouled out. He got four fouls. Kudis and Timothy combined for eight fouls. So they, they, you know, they were just below their limit of 10. But so two – of ego FAs. One of them was uh, a layup. One of them, he had two dunks and a layup, which is what you expect from him. But on two of his makes, Belay got his shot blocked or deflected and it just ended up in his hands. It's like, it was one of those things where, you know, when you start coming up with what, what are the recipes for a win like this for Georgetown, you need stuff like that to happen. And it, and it did. So I'm not going to lie, completely surprised. I don't want to throw you off here. I didn't have it on my notes, but I know that you can handle anything in transition. One of the things that Ewing mentioned the other day, I forget who asked him. So if you're listening, I apologize. Somebody asked him about, I think it might've been eight in uh, Hilltop Hoops. Like, what do you want from the last couple of games? I think it's like nine. Now it's it's 10 because they got the Villanova game. You know, I think he was trying to, basically the question was a little bit leading into you know, maybe getting a quote about the freshman, which I think is a very reasonable thing to do. And Ewing was like, I want to win. You know, I want to win. And I, I'm definitely not trying to throw anything at this game, but it, it's clear that that's, what's Ewing, that's what Ewing is doing because other than Dante Harris, the freshman who basically has to play all game because Jalen Harris is now the program, you know, we saw Sibley for three minutes, no Clark, no Berger, uh, Holloway's hurt. That is the one thing. And again, I know you're listening. You're like, oh, come on, Bobby. Like, it's just a great win. Would you shut up? But I just want to just want to ask you from your perspective, it is a little surprising that we're not getting a little bit more of the freshman. And that being said, it's possible that Belay could come back, right? Or it's possible Blair or Pickett or Carey. So because of the way the NCAA is. But just looking at the freshman, are you a little surprised we're not seeing, getting them a little bit, you know, wet behind the ears? Yeah, I am a little surprised, especially for where they are in the um, – in the standings and what the possibility is of even making the NCAA tournament, you would think that there would be a little bit of eye on to next year. And you can do that without disrespecting the seniors. You can do that without um, saying that you're not trying to win. I I don't know why people think that if you're going to go ahead and give the younger guys um, more minutes, that that means you're just punting the the season. That's that's not true because you can strategically – put those minutes in there. So, no, I am a little surprised because I do think it's important for the program. And that's the one thing that um, I think is big in college basketball when you're in the same situation, when you're in a situation that Georgetown's in, is that you can't necessarily always think of things in the realm of this season as much as you have to think of things in the realm of what is best for the program, especially as long as I'm coaching it. So where Georgetown is, what's probably best for the program, is to find more minutes for the young guys 
than it would be to get one or two more wins than what you would have gotten. And again, after a win, I know that's an unpopular uh, uh, type of outlook, but I stand by that. Unless they make an incredible run, which, you know, everyone hopes that they do, but unless they do, you're going to ask yourself the question, did they throw away an opportunity that will hinder them into next season? Yeah, and I I guess I I kind of bring it up just because, again, I was wrong, and, you know, it worked out for Georgetown. I thought we would see basically no Ego FA, who, by the way, again, was plus 19 in eight minutes. I would have taken the opposite side of that bet, I'll tell you. But uh, I figured it was a game that we would see Sibley. Maybe Clark is still hurt. Um, Maybe I'm just focused on Clark's first game of 10 rebounds and thinking, are we ever going to see that again kind of thing. But just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Okay, Hoya's player of the game, I think that we're both going to say Belay. But I want to just first also talk about the seniors. That's the kind of production from Blair and Pickett in the same game that we don't see a lot. Sometimes Blair will have a game like that. Sometimes Pickett will have a game like that. And then, you know, the other guy won't. But to see them both, you know, be so efficient like that. And Blair, it wasn't even just the shooting. I mean, yeah, he was six for 13. He was five for eight from deep. He got to the line more than any other Hoya. He also dropped seven assists, only had two turnovers. And like you expect from Javon, he played 39 minutes. Okay. But Pickett too, he was, you know, knocking down threes. Patrick brought it up in the post game that he thought that charge was not the right call. I, in real time, I hate charge, especially when someone just like runs to the spot. I just don't think that's defense. We can argue about that if you want. But it's it's rare that they both play a game like this, like the seniors that you need, or maybe not even the seniors that you need, but the seniors that everybody wants to see. And so, you know, them plus what, what um, Belay gave you, man, like just it's hard to pick. It's probably got to be Belay just because this is unexpected and, you're kind of getting the effort. And what did Patrick say? I wrote it down. He's physical. He's athletic. Um, The effort, you you know, like there's that sort of guy that they need. And you know, if Judy gets off to a bad start, guess what? He's going to keep shooting. It's okay. He's not going to, he's not going to go away. No, I think what has, uh, what has helped him is the fact that by him being this aggressive, Blair and Pickett benefit. And we saw it um, somewhat in the Providence game, and we certainly saw it tonight. Georgetown needs a third guy. They just have to have it. And that third guy would fluctuate. Maybe sometimes it was Carey or someone else, but it was never consistent. And now it seems like over the last two games, you've gotten a consistent third guy. So you can't just sit on Blair and Pickett. Now, the third guy also keeps possessions alive by getting his hands on the ball, by getting offensive rebounds. By first play of, of the second half, I believe, oh, first play of the game, he gets a steal. Things like that help those other two front-line guys. So, in a way, you ask yourself, can this continue? If he can continue to play this way, does that, does that mean that Blair and Pickett's game will also continue to rise? What I love out of Pickett was, Against Providence, he was really driving the ball to the basket. It was just it was great to see that he was committed. Tonight, when he took the threes, it wasn't those flat-footed, oh, what the heck, let me just shoot this three. It was in rhythm. It was on after there had been two or three previous touches. And it just seemed like there was more flow to the game for him and Blair. So if Georgetown's offense can work this way um, going forward, uh, certainly I think you'll see those two have multiple games where they give you this frontline performance that they gave you tonight. And then Dante Harris, we haven't spoken about him. He played 35 minutes. He had, he had eight points. He was one for five from the field. He had, he had five assists, only two turnovers. I I know it's not going to be a big performance, a big stat line. I should say to talk about, but his defense was pretty good. He's just, you know, he's in people's face. What do you think about him, you know, being being a coach? I was going to actually lead off this whole thing by talking about him until he had the two boneheaded fouls yeah. at the end. Well, um, where what he was the he clock. doing? Oh, 
<laughs> I have no clue. Um, but I was going to say when the people an overused term, you know, floor general. I don't. Yeah. I hate the term, but I'm going to use it here. He controlled kind of the tenor of the game, and which at this point with this roster, with this team, is really what he needs to do. He only turned the ball over two times. He got the team into the offense and helped get them into the flow where it helped open things up and get guys shots and rhythms and breaking down the defense, all those little things that doesn't necessarily show up unless you're looking at some advanced statting. So I thought he had a great game uh, for – what they need out of him with the exception of, like I said, the two fouls at the end, which I, I and then Blair comes and does the same thing. I mean, you just want to, you just want to throw your remote through the window, but yeah. no, I thought he was very solid tonight. And, you know, we've been talking, you know, every time you're on about just basically how the season is lost and I'm not going to make any crazy predictions, I didn't think they were going to win tonight, although I thought they'd keep it closer than they had recently in Omaha. Based on what just happened, Georgetown gets a Villanova team that's, they're not getting them at a great time because they're going to be well aware of their problems. They lost tonight to St. John's in a game that wasn't particularly close. So that game came out of, well, it didn't come out of nowhere. You could see it coming for a couple of days, but they got, so they got Villanova and then they got Creighton next Tuesday. I'm not trying to say anything. But in the crazy world where they get those three wins in a row, they'd be seven and eight. They'd be five and five in the league. I don't know how they're going to pick teams for the NCAA tournament this year with the fewer games and people aren't playing as many non-conference games and all that kind of stuff. Those would be three of the better wins teams would have. Um, What do you think about the fact that Georgetown's playing that game? And I know you're on Twitter, you're active. Goodman and Gottlieb are just throwing all the shade at Georgetown because they had this, you know, mythical idea of a Villanova Gonzaga game on Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, well, <laughs> Georgetown, um, if they could get this win, they certainly would start to creep up in the conversation and to compare them to a local team. You know, Maryland is starting to creep up into the conversation. I know they have more wins than Georgetown, but part yeah. of the reason why they're creeping into the conversation is they have four wins against ranked opponents. If Georgetown was to beat Villanova and that, and Creighton stays in the top 25, I mean, that would be three wins against ranked opponents. They'd have a win against St. John's, who's run five in a row, including, as you pointed out tonight, the win over uh, Villanova. Uh, look, Villanova, everybody – it's starting to aggravate me for these, like you said, these mythical matchups. Um, it's great to talk about Villanova and Gonzaga. If if it's meant to be, let it happen in March. Uh, but right now for Georgetown, I think it's one of the best things that can happen to them. They're on a two-game winning streak. They're finally getting together in a nice flow. I think that the Villanova game comes at the right time because, as you pointed out before, this was going to be an open weekend where they didn't play. Made, made no sense to we, me. No sense, which is why right, I was right. on the – I was trying to lead the charge of the George Mason game. Right. And so um, I think that by playing, this is perfect for this team. Having the weekend off, I oh, I think it would have played against them. So I'm happy uh, from a Georgetown perspective that – this game is being played when it's being played. And frankly, you know, I'm I'm not – I don't really care about Villanova versus Gonzaga, and like I said, unless it happens in, in another month. Yeah, so I made a comment, or I quote tweeted Gottlieb, who I just can't stand. He's – you know, even if he didn't have the whole Notre Dame credit card issue, he just comes across as so smug and – so, you know, holier than thou. And, you know, he always hated the Princeton offense when he would do commentary. And so I've just, I, I've just never liked that guy. Uh, Goodman, I've met him a couple times when I first started doing recruiting stuff. He's, he was a recruiting guy. And then he's kind of, you know, he was doing MBA. I don't know what he's doing now exactly. I know he's at stadium. I think it's maybe just college and he's doing podcasts with, uh, you know, Rob Douster, who I became friends with. We played a little basketball together. 
when Rob was in the D.C. area. Goodman seems like he's had this little Georgetown issue since he wrote some article right at the end of the JT3 time where he got a bunch of players to speak off the record. And it seemed, you know, Georgetown wasn't really impressed with that. I don't know what the relationship is there completely. At one point, Ben was going to thought he could get him on this podcast, which would have been great. Um, I wanted to talk to him about it. It never happened. COVID started and, you know, one thing led to another. It wasn't my contact. It was Ben's and Ben's all, you know, busy as well. But it just seems like, you know, during the coaching uh, search, he had all the whole, you know, Chris, they, you know, Georgetown offered Chris Mack $4 million, which I wouldn't have been against, honestly, but it seemed unlikely that that was going on. It It seemed more like it was one of those reporter you know, trying to leak information or put it out there, maybe help his buddy in, in negotiations elsewhere. So he's kind of had like, in my opinion, and that's why I would love to talk to him about it. He's had kind of like a weird thing with Georgetown where he seems to always needle them. And it's one thing's like, you know, if I needle Georgetown, I feel like I'm doing it from a position of like family where, you know, you got like that, you know, somebody that, you know, I can, I can say that about them, but you better not, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> I, it's sort of, I don't know, it sort of bothers me. I feel like he goes out of his way to take shots at Georgetown. And they've been down for a while. Like, it's not like, it's not like it happened last year, right? Like, they've been down for a while. And he just seems like he's kicking. He, he's like, that. you know, we all the friends they have, like, they keep using the same jokes. And you're like, yeah, that was that was <laughs> funny three years ago. That's cool. Um, so, I mean, look, here's the deal. Villanova and Georgetown both need Big East games, okay? And it's great that Gonzaga has been so good for 20 years now. But, you know, they do play in a league and that the, they just don't get a lot of good games. You know, they have to schedule very competitively in November and December. Hopefully they can get another good game, you know, before March Madness. But that's not Villanova or Georgetown's problem. You know, that's that's right. that's Gonzaga's problem. Yeah. You know, yeah. so maybe I'm letting it bother me more than it should. And can we talk real quick about Greg McDermott? Yeah. So. Yeah. He's done a great job at Creighton. Creighton's joined the league. They've been really good. Last year might have been his best team. We're never going to know what they do in the tournament because we didn't have one, unfortunately. Real surprised that they just became, that they just turned into a, we're just going to shoot a bunch of threes, and if they don't go in, we don't have another another plan. Like, you, you know, when you look after Jay Wright in the league, all the other programs that have been good basically have, like, no NCAA tournament success. Cooley doesn't have any. Yeah. Willard doesn't have any. McDermott doesn't have any. I'm not sure who I'm forgetting. Maybe Hurley. I don't know what Hurley's done in uh, Rhode Island, but you know what I mean? Like, it just seems like there's this next tier of like really good, you know, programs, but they just haven't done anything in March. So McDermott, what'd you see? Were you surprised by anything he did or did not do? I thought that they settled a little too much uh, tonight when they didn't have to. I thought they had some really good things going in the first half. Uh, one of the things that I did like, you know, just like a lot of teams, they put uh, Wahab constantly in screen and roll. I did like the action that they'd run where they'd have the double screen at the top away from their primary shooter. So when guys like Dante Harris would pinch in for help side, they would kick it to that other side. And when Georgetown could not run them off the line, they had great looks at open shots the entire night. Um, and I thought they would keep doing that action, and they really didn't. They started sort of standing around, something that you expect from Georgetown. I thought they got very one note. They got very stagnant. They didn't really run through their, their stuff. They run this one play where they start off their shoot on the opposite side. Um, after a series of screens by the three-point line, they'll stagger and bring that shooter all the way to the other side off the stagger. Uh, I've used that play, and I will admit I completely stole it from Creighton. So I love a lot of their action. I just think that they got away from their action, especially in the second half. They look like a team that did not expect to be in a battle with Georgetown. They look like a team who thought by the yeah, six, seven-minute mark, they would be up by 13, 15, and kind of cruising the rest of the way. And I think that's why they stood around a lot. I was disappointed just from a basketball perspective. I was disappointed that they got away from the action that helped them get back in the game in that latter half of the first half. Um, like I, 
I admire what McDermott does, but if they think that they're going to shoot teams out of the gym in March, what you said is going to happen again, which is it's going to be an early exit. The reason I thought that Georgetown would go smaller, and I thought, like I said, Wahab would be on the bench, you'd start Belay, and then we'd see no Eco FA, maybe Malcolm Wilson just because he's more mobile, you know? And the reason is I thought that they would just put Wahab in a position where his strengths would be outweighed by the negatives of him being caught so far away from the basket, you know? And they thought, look, Georgetown made a great adjustment. Okay. After the initial uh, screening rolls, what they started doing was when the roll guy would come off the screening roll, whoever was weak side would pinch in and bump that guy. You saw Dante Harris do it. You saw Javon Blair do it to slow down the roll. And then if the ball got kicked, they were trying to run that guy off of the line. Now, they did it to Zagorowski a couple times successfully when they got him to drive baseline and he kind of missed short jumpers. When they didn't do it uh, successfully, uh, the one uh, three-point shoot, Zagorowski got a three-pointer, and the other kid, and I want to pronounce his name correctly, um, Balak got one that was wide open. And it was either back-to-back possessions or two times in three possessions where they ran the action, Georgetown comes and bumps, the role guy, and then they don't get out in time to run them off the line. So um, that was kind of a game within the game, especially in the first 20 to 30 minutes of the game. It was kind of Patrick's adjustment whether he did it or the players started doing it or they were supposed to be doing it all along and just didn't do it at the very beginning. But um, I thought it was a nice adjustment by Georgetown to just run those guys off the line and make them beat you off the dribble. And my only fear was that would mean that Mahoney would have just this, like, monster game if you did that. But it really didn't hurt him because it seems like it was Zagorowski who ended up with the ball in his hands. And I know he shot four for 11 in the second half. Um, it, it it just didn't, uh, didn't work out for Creighton. But I thought Georgetown kind of forced that. Again, this is why uh... – Shouldn't probably bet on games because I didn't see this game going this direction at all, which I don't know if I'd mentioned it before, but uh, Timothy Eagle FA was plus 19 in eight minutes. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> hey, it, so, it is unbelievable, though. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm going to go through all the box scores this year, and it, it's just hard. To, it's just hard to do something like that, I think. Two big plays. I already mentioned it. I don't think I got you your uh, take on it. I was 57-54, about 11 minutes left. Pickett went baseline, put a poster on somebody. I'm not sure who it was. I forgot. But uh, did you think that was a charge? No, honestly, I thought it was a no call. Okay. Uh, the guy got there late. He yeah. got there late. So certainly to me, charge was out of the question. Now, if you wanted to call a block, I would have thought it was a ticky-tack block, but I could see it. But I thought it was clearly a no call, and it certainly wasn't a charge. So after I uh, I went on Twitter and complimented the referees after 15 minutes, and I even said it, I know I'm jinxing this. Because I thought in the first 15 minutes they did a great job balancing the physicality of the game with the whistles. And then just after that, it was, it was you know, paper whistle. It's, it's just too many of them, and that was one of the calls that I thought was just unnecessary. Yeah, well, I don't know what you do for Twitter. I've got TweetDeck up, so I've got a, you know, I've got my column of normal. I've got my, you know, my mentions. I've got a column of Georgetown, a column of Hoyas. So I'm, I'm kind of catching a lot of stuff, you know. I follow a couple of Creighton people. There was a lot of complaining about the refs the whole game. Uh, that being said... <laughs> That being said, um, also we have the 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 question I asked Ewing about. You know, I asked him. You know, hey, how much are you guys practicing banking in those threes? Carry banked one in two games in a row now, and then Blair hit a huge bank three late. It looked like to me that that was just milliseconds late. What was your thoughts on that? I thought it was late when he shot it. Yeah. Once I watched it, it's the replay, I think it confirmed that it was late. I was a little surprised that they didn't overturn it. 
because I thought it was going to be a foregone conclusion that they would overturn it, but they didn't. And I would really like to hear the reason why they didn't overturn it. Was it inconclusive? Was it that they thought that it clearly had left his hand? I just didn't think it did. And I have to look back at the rule, and maybe you know it offhand. I know in the NBA and college, it's uh, opposite. One, it goes by the light on yeah. the clock, and the other one goes by the number on the clock. So if college is by the number on the clock, that should not have counted. If it's a light judgment, I have no clue because they never showed whether the light went off or not. Yeah, you know, we talk about how how easy it is to lose and how hard it is to win. And, you know, that play went in their favor, I thought. If if the clock that they showed us on the replay was accurate, it looked I mean it was really close, but it looked like it looked like he was it was still touching part of his hand. Um that being said, they're also and the announcer brought up I think it was Fitzgerald. They well obviously it was Raftery, but the play by play guy was Fitzgerald, I want to say uh Kevin Fitzgerald that I think it was a Wahab miss, which I can't believe he missed so badly from where he was, but it did graze the rim when BLA got the uh, rebound. Originally they were saying shot clock violation. They looked at it. It a hundred percent hit the rim, but what Fitzgerald kept focusing on was, I guess he was saying if that had happened on the other side of the two minute, they maybe wouldn't have been able to look at it. My bigger point is just all these little things kind of add up when you're trying to win these things sort of need to go your way. And in some of the games this year, early on, it wasn't going Georgetown's way. And when you look at a win and you look back, what were all the ingredients that were part of this? You need to have lady luck, you know, fortune, whatever you want to call it, momentum. You need to have these things going on your side. And they were. And those things all go in to making a George, you know, a big win in Omaha. Georgetown is now only two and six in Omaha. Uh, they won back there in 2015. They beat them like 67 to 40. It was, this is why you want to play the games. You know, this is why where you miss four games, you just want to get your games in. And it does, you know, it's not the best schedule to play at Creighton, at Villanova, and then play Creighton at home. But you know what? On the flip side, I tweeted about it when it, when it happened. Like, hey, look, you get three shots at a big win. Like, you know, people are rolling their eyes, you know, oh, he won't shut up about Georgetown. But this is why you're in a good league like this. This is this is what it's about. You get a chance to compete. And we might be seeing something that, you know, Patrick figured out during the break. You know, hey, I got to go B-Lay. Hey, I got to go do this. I got I to gotta do that. Or maybe B-Lay is just healthy. He started the season hurt. And that could be the situation that it was that the break did help and get this team healthy or whatever they spoke about in players only meeting that they apparently have. Maybe there were some things that were said that needed to be said and it came from the seniors, but I think you brought up something interesting um, earlier in the conversation, which is who comes back next year because of the NCAA rule. Yeah. Um, that kind of is a grace thing. And how does it impact this roster? I know it's too early to have that conversation, but this team, it could be, this team might have an interesting look next year, depending on what players decide to do and whether they decide to take advantage of the opportunity that they have from the, from the NCAA. Yeah. Well, we could talk about this some other time, but I'll, I'll just add this. I feel very confident that if all of the seniors leave and I'm going to include uh Carrie in that group, because even though he has another year of eligibility, he could decide he wants to go and play in some league around the world. Who knows? But if you're telling me Pickett, Blair, Carey, and Belay all leave, and I don't care how good this group of freshmen coming in are, you don't really – you're not adding – like you've got nothing here that really makes them a tournament team. Like I think it's too much to expect Muhammad and Matumbo and – you know, Riley and, um, you know, all the guys coming in, Beard and uh, Billingsley. Um, I think it's way too much to expect that you're just going to, like, you know, throw in these five freshmen, you know, with, you know, uh, Wahab and Harris. And I just think it's too – that that's too much. So whether it's Pickett, Blair, Belay, or Carey, or it's grad transfer from another school, 
I think it's clear that they're going to need some veterans. And even though Harris is playing a lot, he's only going to be a sophomore that's played 20 college games. You know what I mean? So whether it's someone that's on this roster or someone that's not on this roster, they're going to need some seniors on next year's team because they don't, they're not going to have any. You're right. Which means it's, it's back to the um, shopping out of the portal, which I hope that there comes a time where the, this isn't like an annual occurrence where you're forever looking for major pieces, not complimentary pieces, that you're looking for major pieces out the portal. Um, I don't think it's healthy for the program to do that. And I don't think that that's going to get this program where it wants to go by doing that. But to your point, if they all leave, you have no choice but to do that. Well, yeah, just because you're not, you're not bringing back a Sibley that's, you know, played a bunch or, you know, Clark or Berger, you know, you know, like those guys, those guys haven't played enough. So, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I think it's still too early. You know, the next time we get Javon or Jamarco to ask him, but it's, it's getting close. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't do it if they had a media veil on Friday and Jamarco came on. I want to be like, Hey, great game. Hey, so you th- what, what are your thoughts on next year? I, I think it's too early for that, but right. At some point, you know, because we don't we don't get them all the time, right? Like we haven't. I don't. I'd have to go back in my notes. I don't know when the last time we spoke to Javon or or Jamarco was, and I think though that those are legitimate questions for them. Um, yeah, man. You know what? I'll tell you what though. The Villanova game being on Super Bowl Sunday, I was actually eyeing that game because I believe they have media that's allowed to go at Villanova, and I was oh, looking. Wow. I was like, you know, that that might be my one chance to to see them this year and i can't i can't go this weekend like i just that's just that's just not enough notice and it just doesn't work out um so it's interesting though I, i'm glad you brought that up so from a personal standpoint i know no one cares if i get to a game although i think i've been to a game since starting from when i was a kid and begging my parents to go and then my one of my best friends had season tickets, so I always I just went with them, you know, at Cap Center, and um, then I got to be older and driving, and I was just going and blah 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 season tickets, media. Like, I've been going to games forever, so I think this would be the first game since the 90, 90, 91 season. If I don't go to a game, the first time I haven't been to a game, so it's a pretty long streak. And I was hoping to get one under my belt, and moving that Villanova game did not did not help, Marcus. <laughs> I. I will say this. It's a very impressive streak. Whenever um, you can see a particular team of interest that many years and build the way, the way that you built it, it is. It's it's pretty impressive. Uh, the only thing I would have to compare for that, I think, was in the mid to late 80s. Um, it was in the mid-80s I went to see my first Washington Capitals game. Okay. And it, I had this incredible streak of years. And like yourself, I had become a season ticket holder, the whole kit and caboodle. And that streak ended uh, probably either last year or the year before. But it's, it's, it's impressive what you've done with Georgetown. Yeah. And honestly, I don't think if the Big East tournament's open for media, I don't know how many they're going to allow. And I actually don't know if that's a place I want to go. You know, because that's, you know, going to Villanova drive there. I mean, I've, you know, I've, I've worked Nats games. I was at the Wizards game the other night. The, uh, what was it, 149, 146? I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah. The game against the Nats. By the way, that was pretty nerve wracking mm-hmm. when the, the way that game ended. I was, I was ready to scream. I, I was basically had, had all my stuff done. And was it Beal hit the three? And yeah. I'm in a, so just to set the, like, just to set the stage, I'm in a suite by myself which is already weird, right? Like that's where they have media. They have media in a suite. So I'm doing the game for the AP and I've got the, I've got the angle of like looking right at the Nets bench. And so the three goes in. Okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going down. I'm I'm like looking, I'm getting ready to file. And then it's fake crowd noise, but I hear, I hear the crowd noise. And by the time I look up, Westbrook is shooting it and he makes the three. I'm like, what the hell is the score now? I'm like, wait, the Wizards are winning. And then maybe you know the NBA better than me. The Nets got off one final shot 
uh, Kyrie got a ball in to some guy. I don't think I've ever heard his name before. I, I feel like I should know it. I've got NBA league pass. I like the NBA. And I look, and it's like the one guy who his name is very complicated to to, to spell. He has like like an umlaut over one of the letters or some accent, like Timothy Luau or uh, I don't know. The Nets had a timeout left, and I for the, the life of me, why didn't they use it and advance the ball? I don't think Steve Nash knows what he's doing yet. <laughs> so, no, I understand, but that's a. Not the kind of bleed over into the NBA. No, I, I got okay, so it's again, and I know Timothy, we've talked about it. Timothy Luau Kaber. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can only know what the hell's name is. But I was like, I gotta write his name. Come on, get out of here. Um, but anyway, my whole point to this was: so I've been to arenas like that's not a problem, right? Like I've been to Nats Park, I've been to FedEx Field, I've been to Capital One Arena. So like driving up to the Pavilion, which is great. I've been there a couple times and back. That's not a big deal. Like. But going to New York is, you know, you got to take the train up. You got to stay in a hotel. Like, that, there's another level during this COVID time that I'm still not thinking is the right thing to do. So, I think that's it for me, man. I don't think I'm going to get to a game. Yeah. No. And I, I agree with you uh, as far as um, having a little trepidation about going to New York. Uh, I love going to the Big East Sermon. Like, I, I love going to New York um, just for events. but even though by then I will have my vaccination, I still don't trust it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's just, that's just probably a bridge too far. I was there when it started and uh, I can't believe it's a year later and we're still going to the same spot. So basically this is the end of me crying that they moved the game to where I can't make it. So I will, I will stop that. Um, when did you think the game was over for like, when did you think Georgetown had finally sealed it? I'll tell you when me, for, for me, it was the play we were just talking about when that banked in three from Blair went in that I didn't actually think should count. I said, you know what? And I think that put them up nine. I was like, they did it. They're going to win this yeah. game. Same for me when that went through and they let allowed it. Um, I thought it was over, even though Georgetown really wanted to make a liar out of me. <laughs> with three nonsense fouls. Um, I thought it was over. And, and they missed some free throws. Um, so one missed a one and one. Then there was a split with one and two. And then Wahab, I think, missed one. So there were some missed free throws down the line also. But defensively, they did some outside of fouls. They did some good things down the stretch. We, they ran people off the line. Creighton tried to get a, uh, a quick two. They didn't get that because of a contest at the rim. So they also did some some good things. It's just some of the nonsense they did with under a minute left. Just you know, the coach in me just wants to jump off a bridge. But that way, Georgetown moved from one eleven to ninety four in Ken Palm. I'm not ready to get the bandwagon going. That's an old Tony Kornheiser reference to uh, mm-hmm. the Redskins. But I tell you what, man, like they had this ridiculous three game stretch that you know, you know, when Georgetown got that call and was like, hey. Hey, it's us in the Big East. Uh, here's the deal: you're not playing. Villanova's not playing. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna need Villanova to be the meat in a Creighton sandwich. You know, I, I'm mm-hmm. sure I'm sure it wasn't met with great enthusiasm. Is my guess just because from a competitive standpoint, you you really can't come up with a tougher three games. But yeah. when you're four and eight, and you're looking around, you're like, how do we climb out of this hole? Well, here's how you do: you beat really good teams. So they're 1-0 in this three-game stretch. I know you want to break it down into three-game stretches. When we talked about that, the Villanova game didn't exist yet. But, man, right. I'm telling you, if they get Villanova, you know, they were up 18 on them here. Um, you know, Patrick keeps saying they can beat everyone. You talk, you know, the players last week, Belay and Carey. If they beat them and they get to 6-8 and eight and they got a win over, Villanova's going to, no, it'll be this Sunday. They can't drop yet. It'll be number three Villanova. I tell you what, that Creighton game will be, man, it'll, it'll be one of the more interesting positions. It'll be a Hoyas team with nothing to lose, but it'll be like, wow, the season actually is kind of on right now. 
Yeah, and then I would be 100% wrong when asked that I think that the Providence win would be a, a jump start to anything. And I was definitive and confident and everything else and saying, no, it's not going to be the jump start oh. to anything. But maybe it will be. You know what? You're We actually, so we were we were both wrong. I think we kind of said the same thing. But it was a jump start. It was a jump start yeah. into Providence's season imploding. Did you see what they did tonight? <laughs> yes. Yes. They they, yeah. they lost at home to Seton Hall 60 to 43. I'm I'm telling you uh and you express your concerns about Ed Cooley and and some of the things that tend to happen yeah. and Providence has fallen apart. I mean, they are 2 and 6 in their last eight and outside of Marquette um I don't know if there's a team in the conference that kind of had that promising start where you're thinking, oh, okay, They're, they might roll and be competitive at the end of the Big East. You know, we all knew everyone was going to be behind Villanova, but, you know, competing for that top half, and, and both of them have gone in the wrong direction, no doubt about it. And the, to think about the loss to Marquette, which I don't want to think about too much, ugh, I mean, that, that's got to be a win. Yeah, and you know, I know I, I said it in a very roundabout way. I don't know if you were on the call when I asked the other day. I because it was the day after I'd been at Nets Wizards, and Scott Brooks's position was, you know, the Wizards were like three and twelve, but they had been on a COVID pause the same time Georgetown was. Actually, all three basketball teams that I kind of follow a little bit. Well, I don't follow the Wizards a lot just because I work their games, but um, high school team I. My alma mater. Is that what you call high school? Is it your alma mater? Or is that just college? Anyway, uh, oh, the, high school, yeah. the high school that I went to was also on a pause. And they've got, they've got a really good boys, boys basketball team. But um, one of the things Scott Brooks said was like, look, we're 3-12, and 12, but we haven't played a whole lot of games. Like, there's teams that have 12 losses in the NBA right now that are kind of in the mix, you know, in that, you know, the fringe playoff spots because they're like 10-12. and 12, You know, so... My point to Patrick was, and I know I said it in a very long-winded way, it sounded better in my head, but it was just like, look, you're, you know, you're two and five, which has you near the bottom of the league, but five losses puts you like near the top of the league if you keep winning. And, you know, he kind of answered it in a way, well, I don't know what Scott Brooks meant. And that wasn't my point. My point was basically like, look, you just haven't played a lot. So if you can, you know, run off a couple wins, you know, lose, like if you get to like six and six, you're kind of in the middle of the league. Whereas it seems, you know, it's, it just seems weird to think about in those terms when, you know, you haven't played that many games like Creighton's nine and four. So you got five losses Well, you're only one back in the loss column from Creighton. Although there's six mm-hmm. wins and, you know, separate you. So that was kind of my point. I, I don't think it went over very well, but that was kind of what I was trying to get at. Yeah. I knew what you meant when you, when you asked it, yeah, I was on the call and, Okay. I heard you ask it, and, and yeah, at first he um, sort of moved on to from the Wizards, saying he doesn't know anything about him, blah blah blah. Yeah, but yeah. um, and I get it. It that loss column can be very inviting, and when you yeah. do look at it, you can piece it with, "Hey, look, we already have those losses. That's fine." Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter when we got them. If we get the wins, we're going to be right there. Yeah, and. and if if they can get the wins, they are going to be right in the middle of the pack, which, by the way, this team was picked to finish last in the conference. If they're in the middle of the pack, you can package that as this has been an incredible success, and wow, what might have been if a couple of those games early on that we gave away, we won them. And you can sell that. Yeah, I think the big ones are – Obviously, Navy, which isn't a conference game. You know, even though they were winning at West, they were winning versus West Virginia. I never thought they were actually going to win that game, but I think it's really, it's really, but it's what it's the way the Butler game went. It's the way the Marquette game went. You know, um, yes. So we'll see. And it's interesting. Providence is the one team. The one game that they're missing right now is that Georgetown game, and based on what Providence is doing man, you really want to get that game in, right? Like if you can kind of, you know, if you had your, if you had your pick, you're like, look, we, we want to go to Rhode Island, send us to Rhode Island. We want to go there. Like this is a team that we can beat. 
And, you know, those three games are going to come back up about how you're going to schedule them and so on and so forth. And they could be huge for Georgetown in how this season is perceived. Like you said, they can go to Providence and win. They can go to Marquette and win. And the, the last game was a home date with DePaul, which we don't know because it's been so long since we've seen DePaul. We don't even know what DePaul is anymore. But Georgetown, those are three winnable games that if they continue to play the way that they're playing, whether they win all the games or not, if they play the way that they're playing, they could go 2-1, and 3-0 and oh, if they make up the games against those three teams. It's a brave new world. It's a brave new world. And I think because of what just happened, our Thursday mornings are going to be very difficult. Well, it already is Thursday morning, but yeah. we do have we do have things to do, places to go. Hopefully we'll talk to Georgetown before they play Villanova. My guess is we might get them on Friday. They've been really good about making the availabilities. So, oh, speaking of that real quick, for as much as I like going there and getting the you know, chance to, you know, talk a little bit off the record and just sort of like normal chit chat, you know, and, you know, it's kind of very, it's hard on the zoom to come across and, you know, Hey Patrick. And there's like, it's just, it's just hard, you know? Yeah. I tell you what, it's hard to make those for guys that aren't full-time reporters. Like I know we're not, you know, Yep. the zooms are great. They are. (laughs) (laughs) They are. I will be the first to admit it. You know, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I usually have to like, can I, can I maneuver my meetings around this opportunity? But you know, you're there between parking and getting in. You don't, you're, you're, you're not there that long. And right. Like I said, like I got to know, I've gotten to know Ron Bailey before we were both covering Georgetown. Um, I consider him a friend. I got to know him more and more through the media veils. I got to know Ben more and more through Georgetown media veils. So, you know, you, I've known you off of this path as well, but you do get that opportunity to like, you know, converse with people, um, build relationships. So like, you definitely lose that, but man, you gain a lot by just being like, Hey, here's a zoom at this time. Okay, cool. (laughs) I love it. I, I mean, for me, um, going to the media avails, you know, I could maneuver meetings and plus, you know, I'm literally just across the bridge um, with my office and where that's located in relation to Georgetown. So I was able to make a few of those, but I'm not in the office anymore. And I live um, a little ways, to say the least, from Georgetown. So this has been... This has been great. It has. Well, your attendance on the podcast has been great, too. It is at MTC with Mook. That's making the cut. Um, Everyone can please subscribe and rate and listen to this. Marcus, you've gotten a couple fans. I think I've already told you, but there's a couple people that really enjoy you coming on besides myself. So uh, we'll see everybody next time. Yep, I always appreciate the invite.